business and buckets we are live episode 81 you heard that right episode 81 we out here and we got a fucking show for you we had fight night last week ufc 274 this weekend can't wait for that shit we got hockey playoffs we're gonna talk some hockey from here on out until the stanley cup is awarded we got MLB getting heated up, rocking my Angels gear, the red jersey, because they're red hot right now. We're also going to talk NBA playoffs. Yeah, my Jazz are eliminated, but we still got some hoopers and a lot of stuff to talk about. Supercross is basically wrapped up, but you know the deal. Before we talk sports, we're going to talk fueled supplements. So if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Fueled Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. So why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. 100 servings, non-GMO, Gluten-free, safe, and effective. You guys know the deal. Use the promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products at FueledSupplements.com. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, 81, man, it's just crazy to think that uh, this idea I've had in my head for such a long time has become a reality I'm over a year in. I have so much more ahead that I want to do. And uh, we did it, man. I did it. Uh, I can't wait to to improve the show. I have so many thoughts for this next year. Moving to Arizona, going MMA specific on the sports side, keeping the business side, rocking and rolling, doing a little bit of rebranding. It's, uh, it's a lot, but uh, it's going to provide a fun future. Lots of fights. My 30th is coming around. UFC 276 got leaked. There was some fight leaks. So we're going to talk all the fights because it's been fight announcement galore the past two days. I've been refreshing Twitter and Instagram way too much. But we're going to kick it off. Kevin Holland taking on Tim Means. This is an official fight. That's going to be fun. Big mouth in the octagon. You cannot go wrong. A banger for sure. I wish this was 276 as I got to uh, see... Josh Emmett fight the last time I saw UFC live, but we have Calvin Cater versus Mr. Motherfucking Clean, Josh Emmett, June 18th. That's coming up soon. That's less than a month away. And boy, oh boy, is that going to be fun. Another banger of a fight. We have Jamie Pickett versus Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, two guys that like to throw hands. I would assume that ends in emphatic fashion. We have Joe Selecki versus Alex Da Silva. All these are officially booked. Uh, I believe that's happening on UFC 276. Nikita Krylov taking on Alexander Gustafsson. Originally, it was going to be Ben Rothwell. Rothwell had the fight. He decided to leave the UFC and sign with bare knuckle uh, boxing or bare knuckle fighting. So Nikita Krylov stepping in, probably one of Gustafsson's last fights. Maybe not. Look at look at Glover to Shara leading the pace at what forty three years old. KL Baralho versus Armin Petrosian. 
Uh, Armin looked really good in the last fight, so we'll keep talking about his future fights until he shows us that we shouldn't. A uh, big Derek, my balls is hot, Lewis taking on Sergey Pavlovich. Um, Derek, you know, he 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 think he gets you in a position where you're like, ah, he doesn't care. He's just fighting for money. Then he knocks motherfuckers out. This is going to be a crazy fight to digest once when it comes that time. Is he going to knock this motherfucker out or is he going to get taken down and, and uh, ground and pounded like he has shown he, uh, in the past? So that's going to be a fun one for the big boys. Paul Acosta versus Luke Rockhold. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, Paul Acosta is a fucking, you know, internet just uh, drama queen. Him and Dana have been getting into it on Twitter. Uh, we'll see if this fight, I am skeptical that this fight will actually happen. Uh, but as it stands, Paul Acosta versus Luke Rockhold. With the London card, uh, with the London location being officially announced, lots of fights happening in London. One of them that, or a couple of them that have been official, Jack Hermanson versus Darren Till. That's going to be great seeing uh, Darren Till back in the octagon. And Jack is a guy that you don't want to over or underestimate. This one supposedly going down in Paris, Paris, uh, Cyril Gan versus Ty Tuivasa. Basically, the winner of this getting a title shot, depending on the future of Francis Ngannou. Now that we have officially seen that John Jones and Stipe Miocic will be fighting for the interim title. Sad news, Casey O'Neill with the torn ACL, so she's pulling out against Jessica I. And insert comes Macy Barber, uh, the young prospect getting thrown right into the dogs once again. Will be a fun fight to see. Um, how much Jessica's got left in the tank and uh, what level uh, Macy can really compete with. Official this morning, Manel Cop versus Rogerio Bontorin, UFC 275 um, overseas. That's going to be a great flyweight bout. Now this fight, you know, I'm a Sugar Sean guy. Um, the Timbo Sugar Show, a big reason why I, I decided to say fuck it and start a podcast. So shout out Timbo Sugar Show. Uh, Sean O'Malley representing Montana from Helena, Montana, although he is pretty much a, an Arizonian, has been in most of his adult life. But uh, regardless, you got to root for him. Um, anyone Montana and Wyoming, you know how I do, uh, you know, small towns to, to the to the big opportunity. Um, I'm your biggest fan. So Sean O'Malley, it had been rumored, was going to fight Pedro Munoz. He tried to get on the Arizona card this weekend. Uh, Pedro wasn't ready. So, hypothetically, Sean only likes to fight in Vegas. It was going to happen. 276, which is my 30th birthday. I've seen two, uh, sh two of Sean's fights live. I was supposed to see a third, but he had the USADA issues with the picogram testing at the time. So, on a good pace to continuing to see the Sugar Show live versus Pedro Munoz, 276. I'm pretty sure Sean's side is complete. They're just waiting on the uh, signing on Pedro's side. But what a fun fight seeing Sean fighting top 10 opponents, a guy that had been through a battle with Dominic Cruz. Must see TV. This is official for 276, and I am fired up because this is going to be a fucking war. Brian Barberina, who just came off a war, taking on Ruthless Robbie Lawler. 276. Book them up. Get them going. The more fights 276, the better. International Fight Week. Can't wait. Um, an unofficial fight, but most likely going to happen. 
Patty Pimblett on the London card taking on Otman Azadar. Um, regardless, you know, Patty's going to be there. The opponent might change, but he's going to be fighting on that London card. Another uh, rumored fight, not official, but a fight that after Magomed Ankalev won his last fight in uh, uh, fantastic fashion, it made sense that he'd be fighting Anthony Smith. So Magomed Ankalev versus Anthony Smith on that July 30th card, which is rumored to be Stipe versus John. John said he wanted to fight Stipe in July. It wasn't enough time. He's saying September, so I'm still skeptical on that. These are hypotheticals. And where this came from, a lot of these rumored fights was the pivot had sat down with Dana White. They did an interview. Somehow Dana let them do an interview with the boards of all the cards, hypothetical fights, what they're trying to book, what they're trying to finalize in the background. And yes, people took advantage of it. They blew up images, caught captures of what was on the board. You could tell by red and blue markers who's official, who's not. Uh, but these are the fights that they're aiming for. If the big dogs are aiming for them, it's most likely going to happen. Warrant injury, warrant, you know, if they're from overseas, visa issues or traveling issues, those types of things, weight issues, whatever it could be, these are going to be official. So a bunch of rumored fights have been unleashed. I would love to be in that room to see what the future beholds. But majority of that, I mean, if we know most of the fights from now till July, that's a pretty good situation, end of July. Um... But Magomed Ankalev taking on Anthony Smith, that'll be a blast of a fight. And then Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on Douglas Silva de Andrade. Saeed looking really good in his past few fights, so see what he could do and continue to gain momentum in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So some locations official. The UFC is going to Austin, Texas, June 18th. And they're going back to London July 23rd. That's where Patty and the London Carter will be taking place. Um, really what's fun is I saw that there was a location between Salt Lake City and two other new cities. So they're starting to gain more traction, more cities. I would love them to come to Seattle before I moved. Um, but more cities are happening for UFC pay-per-views. The fans are getting pumped as it won't just be Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. More Vegas and a little bit of Dubai. Or Abu Dhabi or wherever the fuck that island is. Um, if you're a wrestling fan, which I'm a wrestler first. I came up through high school wrestling. I watch college wrestling. I like watching Matt Madness, uh, March Madness wrestling style. Um, have some friends from Montana and Wyoming that have gone through the circuit, are in the UFC, in and out of the UFC, and other promotions. And a lot of the guys that have a wrestling base first usually do well in the UFC. And I would assume that this man does well. Penn State, great. Bo Nickel making his MMA debut June 3rd, which is an LFA card. So I'm assuming that that's going to be in the LFA, although the promotion is not finalized or an opponent. Uh, but he's going to be fighting in the next month. And I can't wait. I mean, this is a guy who was training with Jorge Masvidal, prepping him for wrestling type styles like Kamara Usman. Um, so I would assume he does well. I'm interested to see what weight class he's in. I'm assuming... Uh, 160, 170 plus. Uh, but what a stud. Can't wait to see what he could do in the UFC when he gets there. Because he will get there. Kate Hansen signing a multi-fight deal with Invicta. She's young. She's a prospect. Get some Invicta fights under her wing. Come back to the UFC. I'm sure we will see her in the future. Bravo, Miss Kay Hansen. And then one championship. Prime Video making moves. 
Uh, that just shows you how big MMA is getting. One Championship, Bellator, PFL, ESPN, Major Rights. Now is the time for Mixed Martial Arts. One Championship signing a multi-year deal with Prime Video in the U.S. and Canada for 12 live events annually. You know, the One Championship's great and all, but really at the end of the day, all I care about is watching Demetrius Johnson, so they're going to need to recruit some bigger name fighters for me personally, but it's great that we get more access to those fights. Last night, uh, it's Wednesday afternoon right now. I was going to fil film this yesterday, but with the Avalanche playoff round one happening, um, as good as the Warriors... Uh, Grizzlies uh, first round game or first game of round two was I wanted to be able to watch round two and it lived up to expectation. So I postponed it till today. This will be coming out Thursday uh, with the fight picks and everything uh, before this weekend's card and playoff action. But the ultimate fighter episode one, Juliana Pena, uh, Amanda Nunez episode one came out the heavyweights and flyweights for women. Uh, the heavyweights were first. Amanda Nunez ended up getting first pick on fighters, so Pena got to pick the first fight. Pena's fighter won, uh, uh, you know, a higher-picked fighter than what Amanda Nunez did. Amanda had this pig farmer. Guy's a brick shithouse. Reminds me of, like, a t uh, the Watt Brothers build. And uh, was just throwing big, loopy throws, trying to get the takedown, doing a little too much, and the other guy was able to take advantage with it. Lots of hammer fists, lots of ground and pound, good uh, wrestling defense. Um, but I assume a multiple of these heavyweights will be going into the UFC in the future. Interested to see what the skill level is for the women's flyweight. Uh, but Pena, you know, she's the, she's Venezuelan. She's a Latina. She's got that sassiness. She's definitely an aggressive coach. Obviously her and Nunez is going to have some angst built up over the season in, as they prepare for the rematch, which I hope goes down UFC 276. I would hope potentially Kamara Usman's going there. Uh, but assumptively, to the rumored leaks that it's going to be Izzy fighting Jared Cannonier. I'm sure that will be a, a for sure fight, hoping that Camaro could get on there as well. I assume at least two title fights will be on there. So if not, worst case scenario, Camaro or the Nunez fight for my dirty 30. Let's go. Also in the MMA world, Bellator 280 this weekend. There was a Bellator event last weekend, but not a lot of fighters that I can really speak into. Uh, maybe in the future when we go MMA-specific, we'll dive further into the Bellator world. Uh, but this weekend, Bader versus Congo on Friday. This is the second fight. They had a fight that was ruled a no contest in 2019. Uh, but two ex-UFC guys that are the cr uh, cream of the crop in Bellator should be a fun fight. We also get a Yoel Romero sighting. There hasn't been a lot of those since he went to Bellator. But he has um, had his fighter subbed out and is now fighting Alex Polizzi. Uh, only a second Bellator fight um, since they put the circuit together. I, I, I believe it was injury-related. But Yoel Romero, man, he's fucking must-see TV. Those shoulders, those traps, the fucking deep eyes. This guy is a Terminator, and I can't wait to see him fight on Friday. Also on Friday, PFL action. When you think PFL, you think Kayla Harrison she is taking on Marina Maknakina. Uh, Ray Cooper is fighting Carlos Leal. So two of the biggest names in PFL um, having some action in the beginning of their circuit. We also have Anthony Pettis taking on Miles Price. And Rory McDonald taking on Brett Cooper. Would be fun to see Pettis versus McDonald in the future. Um, and just to see Kayla Harrison back in action. 
Lots of fights, some leaked fights. MMA fans are hyped. We're all hyped. UFC fans are hyped. I'm hyped for my 30th. I've been waiting to see what that card was. I was thinking Kamaru. I was thinking Izzy. I was pretty damn sure of Sean. So getting that justification makes me feel good. I wish John Jones, Stipe could have happened on that card, though. Regardless, this weekend, a nice little fight night card. Um, to be honest, I'll take fights every Saturday. I don't care how deep they are, whatever's going on. You know, if there's a, a really shallow card that I'm not super hyped up for, maybe only the main event, the nice thing is with ESPN Plus is you can watch them back whenever you need to. So if I'm going hiking, skiing, whatever, you know, I don't have to prioritize staying in for the fights like I am this Saturday, going to a local casino with some homies, getting a hotel room so we can get a little bit litty uh, to watch these fights, talk some shit in a sports book, put some uh, bets down. So I'll be giving you my parlays. I'll be tweeting out everything that I bet um, after weigh-ins because you want to make sure that the fights actually happen so you don't have to deal about empty money and trying to get your money back. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was a decent fight night card. I went three and three in my picks. So not amazing. Um, fights that we did not break down a nice win by Gabriel green. He beat an undefeated Johan Lanessi from Canada and Lanessi was looking good. Round one was piecing him up a little bit. It was great to see Gabriel green dig deep. You know, he is known for being a pretty high level fighter, had some eyesight issues. He said he couldn't see shit. Got LASIK done. He came back, dug deep, got a win. I'm sure there's a bright future ahead of him, but also Johan. So good fight that we did not break down that happened early. And we're going to start in the prelims where Francisco Figueredo had a first-round submission via knee bar. He also got a performance of the night on this fight over Daniel Da Silva. And this fight didn't last long. We somehow get the... the um. As UFC fans, we get the awesomeness of another knee bar submission that's two weeks in a row, two fight nights in a row. It's a more rare submission. And I don't know if it was as smooth as last week's, but it was a very nice showcase by the sniper, the the brother, Figueredo. And, uh, I mean, you get those knee bars in deep pretty quickly. You get a smooth transition. It's uh, You're, you're going to have to tap or you'll be uh, regretting that with some injuries. So... Uh, statistically, again, didn't go very far. Francisco landed five total and significant stripe strikes with that submission attempt, uh, compared to Daniel's five total and four significant strikes. He had the takedown, which led to Francis Francisco being on bottom, was able to do some jujitsu work and then landed that knee bar. Now Francisco starts a new winning streak. He's two and one in the UFC. Daniel's on a two fight losing streak and is and two in the UFC. And we, we talked about this fight because these fighters are going to have a future in a sh more shallow weight class in the flyweight division. So I'm sure we'll be hearing more of their names moving forward. Um, what could be next for these guys? I think Francisco could take on Bruno Silva, while Daniel could take on Victor Altamirano. Regardless, again, I think we will be seeing more of these guys in the flyweight division in the future. You got to watch the prelims and the early fights to see what's upcoming in the UFC. If you just watch the big names, you're also going to forget, you know, some of these older dudes stay up in the rankings. They go up to two, three, they lose title fights. They go to seven, eight. But by the time they fight someone, they're usually getting a guy moving up in the rankings. So the younger fighters have potential over those older fighters. Well, this young fighter put on a show 
biggest favorite in uh, Vegas history for a, a UFC fight, maybe even an MMA fight. He was like minus 2,000 or greater. But Alexander Romanov with a first-round submission over Chase Sherman. And this fight lived to the odds, right? I mean, you almost were like, hey, I'd like to just throw a couple pennies or a couple bones on Chase because he's like plus 3,000. Um, but there was no fight to be had. I mean, Romanov was a massive favorite. Um, he had Chase searching for answers. You know, it's got to be tough on Chase. He literally got cut a week before he got announced on a short notice fight because Romanov's opponent pulled out. He gets another chance against an up and coming fighter. Uh, doesn't really boost his stock, but hopefully the UFC throws him a bone for taking that on short notice. Uh, but the big thing here was Romanov showing off his new physique. He had reportedly lost 45 pounds as well. He showed off his wrestling. This guy looks like a true, you know, challenger at the heavyweight division. A guy who could throw, a guy who could wrestle, multi-talented. Obviously, we know how far that, that can go in the heavyweight division. Now, statistically, Alexander landed 11 total and 8 significant strikes with 3 takedowns and a submission attempt compared to Chase's zeros on everything. He literally just tried to uh, save his life in there. Now, Romanov, he's on a 16-fight winning streak. He's 5-0 in the UFC, and he moves into the rankings already. He moves in at number 13, while Sherman, who just got cut and re-signed, potentially could be battling a cut again, uh, but he's on a four-fight losing skid. So what's next? For Romanov, he called out Augusto Sakai, which really does make sense. I mean, I've been there's been a lot of heavyweights booked. I've been saying anyone could fight Augusto. Augusto was a guy who was high up in the rankings, lost a tie. You know, he's still a tough fighter. Um, but I think that'd be a great fight or maybe Sergey Spivak. And for Chase, if he does fight, he could fight Harry Hunsucker, who's down at the bottom towards the heavyweights and a, a guy he hasn't fought yet. And then moving into the main card, we had Christoph Jotko with a unanimous decision over Gerald Mearshart. Um, I had all three of these fights right. These were my first three uh, correct fights. And this fight was mostly Jocko grappling and grinding on Gerald. Um, both guys in their prime needing a win to keep moving up the ranks and even think of a title shot. Um, but Gerald couldn't get much going on his feet or on the ground. Statistically, Jocko landed 129 total and 65 significant strikes with four takedowns. Compared to Gerald's 46 total and 37 significant strikes with the takedown of his own. Jocko is now on a two-fight winning streak. And Gerald starts a new losing streak as his three-fight winning streak comes to an end. So what's next for these fighters? I could see Jocko. Um, you know, he's only been fighting once a year. So maybe he'll wait to see some fights shake out. He could take on the loser of Duplessis. Right? It's not Drikas. Duplessis. Duplessis. Or Brad Tavares, I think those would be good matchups for him. And for Gerald, how about Anthony Hernandez? Either way, there's lots of fighters in this division, solid fighters, not a lack of fights in this weight class. And then motherfucking Darren Elkins, man. How could you not like the veteran Darren Elkins? He gets a unanimous decision over Tristan Connolly. And this was just a classic Elkins fight. Back and forth affair of complete fucking carnage. His nickname is The Damage. And he had some damage and delivered some damage. And Elkins kept coming. He's like a zombie. He kept coming, was able to take the damage, keep moving forward and deliver it himself. When we take a step back and look at how the stats added up, 
Elkins landed 165 total strikes with 75 of those being significant and five takedowns in a submission attempt. That's compared to Tristan's 106 total, 66 significant. And Darren now um, starts a new winning streak after losing to Cub Swanson, right? Cub Swanson, a, a very high-level fighter, a, another veteran of the UFC. He is 3-1 and one in his last four fights, which is very impressive. Meanwhile, Tristan is on a two-fight losing streak, and he hasn't won since September of 2019, so searching for, for a, a path to victory. So what's next? Well, for Darren, I think Sungwoo Chu would be a perfect fight. And for Tristan, how about Christian Rodriguez? Either way, Darren Elkins, he's a great fighter to have on a card. He brings the damage, the carnage. Then we had Grant Dawson, KGD, with a third-round submission over Jared Gordon. And this was just the KGD takeover, man. Uh, he took Jared down over and over. He was landing some good shots when standing. Uh, you know, Jared, I, th I thought, was doing better of the striking exchanges. Grant knew that. He stuck to his strengths. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And to, to give Jared credit, throughout the first two rounds, you know, Grant got his takedowns, but he couldn't find any submissions attempts. It was mostly holding Jared in a body lock or having deep hooks, holding him, um, trying to land a couple shots to win the scorecards, win the rounds. Um which is not an easy feat, especially a guy who's 24, has a, a pretty much unlimited gas tank. You know, Jared's a tough motherfucker, and that's why I picked him. Um, but after two rounds of just grinding Jared out, he was able to slip in the rear naked choke in the third and was, you know, after basically Gordon was just beat down and grinded out. Um, I couldn't imagine having that happen to you for three five-minute rounds. Um, there's a chance that a submission attempt a la Khabib Khabib is going to happen. So, you know, props to KGD, though. His cardio was very impressive. He did take some damage, right? George, uh, Jared did have some moments, uh, but he continued to push forward. He continued to figure it out. The takedown attempts in the late third round were very, very impressive. The stats, Jared had 111 total and 77 significant strikes compared to Grant's 98 total and 54 significant strikes with seven takedowns and 17 attempts. So again, if it's not broke, don't fix it. He went to his winning uh, repertoire, and he had two submission attempts. So again, Jared, very good fight. It takes a lot of will and energy and just mental ability to want to you know, get out of those, find a way out, land some shots. You could easily, in a body lock, guy rocking submission, just be like, fuck, I can't get out of here. Um Jared, he had his three-fight winning streak come to an end. While Grant extends his nine-fight winning streak, he also had a draw in there. Um, so very impressive numbers. So what's next? Well, for Grant, it's time to step it up a little bit. How about the Olympian Mark Madsen or Jakar Close, who just had a nice impressive victory as well? And for Jared, Vince Pichel, who just lost to Madsen, I think would make sense. Either way, both these fighters, again, a division that does not lack uh, fights. It'll be fun and must-see TV. And then we had a performance of the night. Joe Anderson Brito with a first-round knockout over Andre Feely. I'm glad I did not put a parlay in for this weekend because this would have been busted no matter what because I thought Feely was for sure going to get the job done. Now, this one didn't last very long. Um, a lot of these fights were kind of 
quick finishes. Uh, Brito had a good opening against Feely. He took advantage to finish him, which isn't a very common thing for Feely. He's a tough some bitch. Statistically, Andre only landed six total insignificant strikes compared to Brito's 14 total insignificant, and he also had that knockdown. Andre has dropped two with a no contest, so he's one and three in his last four. Um, well, one and three plus a no contest in his last five fights. So definitely needing some positive momentum. And Brito starts a new winning streak and is 2-1 and one in the UFC. So what's up next? I think Feely taking on Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres would be fucking nuts. And Brito, he could take on Yusuf Zalal. Those would be fucking great fights. And then the co-main event, we had Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky. With a split decision over Jake Collier. And this fight was a classic heavyweight dog fight. A three-round scrap that went down to the wire and was very, very controversial. Collier landed more volume consistently. And I do believe Jake won the fight. But that's why you can't let it go to the judges. Was this a fucking highway robbery? Absolutely not. But when it's this close, it could be any fighter's fight when it comes down to the judges. So you have to find a way to make it convincing or you have to find a way to just get the knockout or the finish. I thought Arlovsky wasn't as active as he had been in his last few fights in this winning streak. I didn't think he looked as good either. So maybe he, you know, there was an opponent change. Maybe it was, I don't know, just, a, you know, the overlooking of Jake. Um, it could be a lot of things, but statistically, Andre landed 105 total and 91 significant strikes compared to Jake's 132 total and 93 significant. He also had two takedowns as well. Regardless, it is what it is. Uh, you don't have to agree with it. Andre gets a win. Jake gets a loss. Now, Andre is now on a four-fight winning streak after his loss to Tom Aspinall at the beginning of 2021. So has been very active in his 40s, looking good. And Jake starts a new losing streak and is 1-2 since 2021. So what's next for these guys? I can see Orlovsky taking on Alexi Olenek, while Jake could take on William Knight. Those would be some bangers. I'd love to see Orlovsky right back in there. Uh, I think he knows that time is the essence and it's, it's grind out mode to see where he could take this thing. And then the main event, Marlon Cheeto Vera with the unanimous decision and fight of the night over Rob Font. I had picked Rob. I knew it was going to be close. I knew Cheeto's a durable motherfucker. And that's really what it was. I mean, the fight looked a lot like you could expect. Rob was the, the faster striker, hands down, the faster, quicker striker uh, early in the first couple of rounds. I mean, he was piecing up Marlon. He was looking loose. He was switching stances and he was landing big shots. Now in fights like this, you could easily say, well, Rob doesn't have any power. You know, look at Cheeto's face. I disagree. Rob is doing those, you know, him and Calvin, they have those nasty jabs. They step in jabs. They come at you fast. They buzz you up. He was landing some overhand rights. He was landing some combos. He was even landing some body shots. Those are big shots. Some people can wear shots a lot better and are just more durable. You could see it. Throughout the fight, Cheeto had like red on his nose and you could see um, Rob's face. It looked like uh, meatloaf. But in the first two rounds, it was clearly like, oh, wow, Rob is out striking me. 
Marlon kind of just rocky it. He knew it. He stayed calm, cool, collective. He took the shots, started wearing on Rob, and was able to land big shots of his own, leg kicks, body kicks, a little bit of everything. Um, so I don't want people to think that Rob's not a strong fighter. He can't land the big shots and it's not doing damage. I think it's just the ability of Marlon to wear that damage um, and take damage, honestly. Uh, but Marlon's so tough, right? He outlasted Rob. He showcased that he could hand he could handle more damage. And for me, judging these kind of fights is very weird because technically Rob scored more. He landed more shots every round. Three of them ended up being Rob controlling majority of the fight around a minute. Cheeto landing a big shot. Rob getting knocked down, damn near knocked out at the end of round. So how do you score that? Well, the round is or the fight scored per round. Who scored more points? So when someone lands sixty shots to someone's ten, and then you knock them down, where is that scored? But I think that happening over and over, someone being knocked down and almost knocked out, you have to really take that into consideration. But it's interesting to it would be interesting to like really understand what the judges' mindsets are on fights like this because this doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. But at the end of the day. Even if Rob landed more strikes or had more points in those rounds, each round Cheeto was clearly the winner. You could tell by how was, how the person looked, but it, it was kind of an interesting fight in that fact that that doesn't happen a lot of the time, and it'd be interesting to get under the mindset of the UFC and what they tell their judges and what the judges' mindset is as well. Statistically, Rab, Rab, Rob landed 273 total and 271 of those were significant strikes. And I can tell you what, Cheeto feels them today. He also had a takedown. Meanwhile, Marlon had almost 100 less, 167 total and 159 significant strikes, but he did have three knockdowns. So again, the scoring, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, Cheeto won, but at the end of the day, if we look at the scoring, there is some controversy there. Now, Marlon's on a three-fight winning streak and hasn't lost since his fight against Jose Aldo in 2020. He does move up three spots in the ranking and takes Rob number five. Meanwhile, Rob is on a two-fight losing streak after an four, impressive four-fight winning streak. Uh, you know, lost to Marlon, lost to, lost to Aldo. And he moves down two spots to number seven in the rankings. So, the bantamweight division gets more interesting. What's next for these guys? Well, I think Marlon, I know he wants to get up there and fight like almost a title contender or rematch, although I do not think that happens. I would like to see Vera take on Dominic Cruz or Marab Deshvili, uh, two guys that could wrestle and grapple. That could be interesting. And obviously Dominic Cruz uh, looking to fight a uh, fighter higher in the rankings. And now Marlon is that. Rob, he could take on Corey Sanhagen or Frankie Edgar. Either way, the top 15 in bantamweight must see TV. Excuse me. But now, a big time card this weekend. We got UFC 274, and we're going to break down quite a bit of fights starting in the early prelims. Um, there's two women fighters that I like to keep track on. We have Tracy Cortez and Lupi Godinez fighting in the early prelims, but we're not going to break down their, those fights. They're both favored in the early prelims. Um, and I may or may not put them on parlay action, so make sure to check out at podcast buckets on Twitter to do that. You know, I will rebrand those once I go MMA specific on Instagram and Twitter, and I will be starting a TikTok to dive into those as well. Now, early prelims. We got Blagoy Baga Ivanov 
35 years old with an 18-4 and record, and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Marcos Pazau Rogerio de Lima, 36 years old with a 19-8-1 record. Now, this is going to be an interesting fight in the early prelims. Ivanov hasn't been active lately. His last fight was in May of 2020. And I don't expect this one to go the distance. I do think it'll be more of a slugfest as both fighters are fighting for momentum in the latter half of their career. Um, they know they need to take action as they can now. Technically in the UFC, 33 to 36 is your prime. So they're not quite that old, but they're at the end of their prime. You know, uh, obviously Ivanov hasn't fought in much time. So there's a lot at stake for these fighters. Lagoya has a background in combat sambo, judo, and kickboxing. Great background to have. He's an international master of sport in sambo, a black belt in judo. He is a world champion in sambo. He's a Bellator World Series of Fighting and PFL veteran. He was a champion in World Series of Fighting and PFL as well. Six of his 18 wins are via knockout and submission. Uh, so six via knockout, six via submission. So 12 of his 18 via finish. He is on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since June of 2019. Should have put this down. Let's see who they were against. I think it was pretty good competition. His last two fights, Augusto Sakai and Derek Lewis. So, yeah, some pretty high-level um, heavyweights. Um, but hasn't won since June of 2019. Hasn't fought in quite a while. Things will be very interesting. Meanwhile, Marco trains out of American Top Team. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum. And he's on a two-fight winning streak. Plus 14 of his 19 wins are via knockout. So I do expect Ivanov to look to wrestle Marco here. Look to take him down. While Marco is going to look to put Ivanov's lights out. This one I've gone back and forth on. But I'm taking the favorite. I'm taking Ivanov. I am not putting him on my parlay if I can avoid it. And then we got Brandon Rodog Royval. 29 years old with a 13-6 record. And the number six next to his name, taking on Matt Danger Snell, 32 years old with a 15 and five record and the number nine next to his name. Now, this is going to be a great fight, and I'm glad to see Snell is back in the octagon as he had a fight with Alex Perez, postponed three times. I think I put money on it twice. I was super upset about it. Either way, it'll be fun to see him back in the octagon. And both fighters are moving their way up the flyweight division. The Raw Dog has had a better chance at title shots, hasn't quite gone there. But he's only 29 years old yet and hasn't even really entered his prime. So the winner here can push towards a title shot where they'll or the loser will be on a long path back. Nobody wants to be in that, that position. So once again, big um, outcomes for both of these fighters with the win here. So Brandon, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He's an LFA alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-2 and two in the UFC. And eight of his 13 wins are via submission. He's nasty on the ground. Matt, meanwhile, has a black belt in karate and a purple belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak after the loss to Bontorin, but it was overturned due to a positive PED test by Bontorin. So before that, he lost to Alexander Pantoja, after a four-fight winning streak of, a, of his own. So these guys have had a chance. They've kind of been scrapped back to the middle of the pack. They're trying to get their way to the top. So it's going to be good for Matt Schnell to get some ring time, get back on track. 
What he has with his fights is eight of 15 wins are via submission, so he's nice on the ground as well. And three of his five losses are via knockout. Now, this is a very close, closely matched fight, but I'm going to go with the fighter who has had more action recently and seems to be vastly improving every fight. I'm going with Brandon, Raw Dog Roy Val. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Can't wait. Moving on, we have Macy Chiasin, 30 years old, with a 8-2 record, and the number 11 next to her name, taking on Norma, the immortal Dumont, 31 years old, with a 7-1 record, and the number 15 next to her name. Now, this is going to be a fun, tough fight. I think this gives Norma the ability to see where she belongs as a more of a newcomer than Macy, and if she could keep cruising through the division. Macy is a, a tough alum, an Evicta alum. She was, uh, she's on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-1 and one in her last three fights. Two of her seven wins are via knockout and submission, and she does have a five-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Norma, she trains at a syndicate MMA. She has a brown belt in BJJ and a black belt in Sanda, which is like Chinese kickboxing. She's on a three-fight winning streak, and two of her seven wins are via submission. Her one loss is via knockout. Now, Macy, she's as tough as they come. I do believe Norma is the more talented fighter. Macy's going to have to get the classic victory here the old dirty way. She's going to have to put Norma up against the cage. She's going to have to grapple her, tire her out. If they keep it on the feet, though, I think it can get ugly. I am going to take Norma in this fight, and I'm going to avoid it on the parlays if I can. Moving on in, in, in another prelim fight, we got Randy Rude Boy Brown, 31 years old with a 14-4 and record, taking on Chaos, the Ox Fighter Williams, 28 years old with a 13-2 and record. Now, this will be a fun fight, and I don't expect it to go the distance. Both fighters are on their way to their primes. They have momentum now. They're filling themselves. Someone's going to get put out or finished. Now, Randy... He's got a brown belt in BJJ. He was the ring of combat champion. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Six of his 14 wins are via knockout, five via submission, and two of his four losses are via knockout. Chaos, he's got a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a, a two-fight winning streak. Seven of his 13 wins are via knockout. And I really like what I've seen from Chaos lately. I think he's really developing and is going to be a problem in the welterweight division as he is still very young at uh, 28 years old. But I'm taking the young ox fighter. I'm putting chaos on that parlay. We marking him down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got this man again, Andre Fialho. He's 28 years old with a 15 and four record taking on Cameron Van Camp. 29 years old, making his UFC debut. Fialho is coming off a very impressive win against Miguel Beza on April 16th, so just a couple weeks ago. And he's now right back at it. Uh, you know, this is a guy who just made his UFC debut as well. And this time, Cameron is making his UFC debut. So two young UFC fighters, guys that they think highly of, fighting pretty stiff competition starting their UFC careers. But again, they fight in a, a pretty stacked weight class. Now, Andre, he trains with the dogs out of Sanford MMA. 
12 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Two of his four losses are via knockout. And he is one and one in the UFC. Cameron, he's on a four-fight winning streak. But after seeing what Andre did to Beza, I don't think I could take the guy who's making a UFC debut over him. I'm taking him. Uh, uh, I'm putting him on the parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on now to the main card. We got the legend fight, the veteran fight with Donald Cowboy Cerrone, 39 years old with a 39 and 16 record, taking on Joe Lozon, 37 years old with a 28 and 16 record. These guys have a ton of fight action, a ton of octagon time. And it's great that the main card starts with a class event showdown. Joe hasn't fought since October of 2019, so that's a little bit of a wild card. But Cowboy, he's a legend. He has records for days. He trains out of his own BMF ranch. He has a black belt in BJJ and a black belt in Gaido Jutsu. He was a guy that came from the WEC when it converted with the UFC. He is tied for most wins in UFC history, third most bouts in UFC history, second most finishes in UFC history, tied for most post-fight bonus awards, most knockdowns in UFC history. He, was, he had the 2009 fight of the year, and he's obviously definitely on the latter half of his career and is on a five-fight losing streak with a no contest there as well. He hasn't won since May of 2019. 17 of his 36 wins are via submission, and eight of his 16 losses are via knockout. Now we turn the tables to Mr. Lozon. Joe, he's another classy vet of the UFC. He trains out of his own Lozon MMA. He has a background in BJJ and boxing. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's tied for second most post-fight bonus awards. He's got most submission of the night honors. Uh, he had the 2012 fight of the year. He's on a one-fight winning streak after a three-fight losing streak, but again, hasn't graced the octagon since October of 2019. 17 of his 28 wins are via submission, and six of his 15 losses are via knockout. Now, this is a legacy fight for both fighters. Cowboy getting the win over Joe. Joe getting the win over Cowboy. They're going to love that. That's something that their record will always have. Joe is definitely a wild card here after being out for almost three years. But I believe that Joe being a little bit younger and not as beat up is good for him. I do believe, sadly, that Cowboy is out and should be... like His chin is gone. He's past his prime. He probably should be in retirement. I'm going to love to see him grace the octagon. You can't count the cowboy out, but I'm taking Joe. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on in the main card. Another little vet action. Not a little, a big vet action. We got Mauricio Shogun Rua, 40 years old, with a 27-12-1 record, taking on Ovince St. Prue. 39 years old with a 25 and 16 record. Now Shogun has basically come out of retirement for this fight, basically this rematch. Uh, Shogun lost uh, to OSP in November of 2014 via knockout. But Shogun, he trains out of Kings MMA. 
He's got a black Prajit in Muay Thai and a black belt in BJJ. He's a Pride alum. He had Fight of the Year in 2011, Knockout of the Year in 2010. He was 2005 Fighter of the Year, 2009 Comeback Fighter of the Year. He's in the MMA Hall of Fame. I mean, he's a straight motherfucker in the octagon. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-1-1 one one in his last four fights. 21 of his 27 wins are via knockout, and 6 of his 12 losses are via knockout. So like we say, to knock out or to be knocked out. Now, OSP, he spent most of his life at light heavyweight, tried to have a career you know, resurgence at heavyweight, but is back at light heavyweight, and I'm assuming will be for the future. He does have a brown belt in BJJ. He's a strike force alum. He's on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won at, and never got a win at heavyweight. 12 of his 25 wins are via knockout. And really, if you think OSP, you think Von Fluchoke. He's got the most Von Fluchoke submissions in UFC history with four of them. He's tied for most submissions in light heavyweight history. Second most stoppage wins in lightweight, light heavyweight history. And he's tied with John Jones and Shogun for most bouts in light heavyweight history. He does have a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, this is wild, but I'm all for it. OSP went against some killers lately. I like his chances in the rematch. Much like Cowboy, I just can't expect a lot from Shogun at this point in his career. I am going to take OSP. I am putting him on my parlay. We are marking this fight down, and we are getting that bread. Moving on. Oh, boy, is this going to be fun. Michael the Iron Chandler, 36 years old with a 22-7 and record and the number five next to his name, taking on Tony Elkakui Ferguson, 38 years old with a 26-7 and record and the number seven next to his name. I really wish this fight would have happened a few years ago. Let's say 2019, 2020. Either way, this is going to be a bloody banger, and I'm fucking sure of it. Tony has really been rebranding himself. He's been doing some new training, some new coaches. He's kind of been hiding away. He hasn't been as public and as vocal as he used to be throughout his career. He's trying to make a change to have a latter half push in his career. I mean, the man was on a 12-fight winning streak. At the end of the day, I do believe Tony's chin is gone, and he's taken too much damage, much like Cody Garbrandt. Tony in the embedded as far as hinted at sticking to wrestling, but Chandler can wrestle as well and probably at a higher level. I'm going to go with a Chandler finish, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Chandler, he has a D1 wrestling background at the University of Missouri where he placed fifth. He wrestled with um, Ben Askren. He wrestled with Tyron Woodley there at Missouri. They had some dogs. Speaking of dogs, he trains out of Sanford MMA. He's obviously a strike force and Bellator alum. He was a Bellator champion. He's on a two-fight losing streak and is one and two in the UFC, but against the best of the best, in my opinion, the, the, the toughest weight class in the UFC uh, um, roster. 10 of his 22 wins are via knockout. Four of his seven losses are via knockout. He had the 2021 fight of the year against Justin Gaethje last year, which was in my opinion, the best fight I've ever seen. Straight gladiator shit. 
He was the 2011 Breakthrough Fighter of the Year, and he had Fight of the Year in 2011 as well. Ten years of Fight of the Years. This guy is must-see TV. Tony, he's an Orthodox fighter. He does have a wrestling background. As he wrestled at Muskegon Community College, he won a National Collegiate Wrestling Association title in 2006. I don't even know what the NCWA is, to be honest. He has a black belt in 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum, one of the OGs. He is tied for the most consecutive wins in the UFC lightweight division with 12. He was on that 12-fight winning streak. He was 2018 fight. He had the 2018 fight of the year. He is on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since June of 2019. 12 of his 25 wins are via knockout. And he does have a five-inch reach against the iron Mike Chandler. Again, I wish this happened a few years ago. This is obviously a must-see event. I think Chandler shows out on this one, really showcases what he can do, and doesn't let the emotion get to him like I think it did in the Gaethje fight. Um, he's going to have another top dog on his resume uh, with the win over Chandler or, or uh, Ferguson that'll look great. And it's going to earn him another top dog in the UFC as he makes a late career push in the toughest division in the UFC. I'm taking Iron Mike Chandler. I'm putting him on that parlay. I'm marking him down, and I'm getting that bread. Then we get the two title affairs. And oh, boy, are they going to be fun. We got Rose Thug Nama Yunus, 29 years old, with a 12-4 and record, taking on Carla the Cookie Monster Esparza, 34 years old, with a 19-6 and record and the number two next to her name. Now, a lot of rematches have been in store in 2022. And this one is a, a way, way back rematch from the Ultimate Fighter finale where Carla beat Rose pretty handily and mostly did it with her wrestling ability. I believe that both fighters are in their prime, but Rose is just so talented everywhere where Carla is a little bit more limited. Rose, she trains out of Onyx Labs with Trevor Whitman, that team that was above and beyond everybody with Gaethje, with Rose, with Kamaru. He won Coach of the Year last year. She has a black belt in Taekwondo and Karate and a brown belt in BJJ. She's an Evicta and Ultimate Fighter alum. She has the most stoppage wins, wins in UFC women's strawweight, the most victories over three former champs in her division, 2017 and uh, 2021 Female MMA Fighter of the Year, she is on a three-fight winning streak, and five of her 11 wins are via submission. Now, Carla has a wrestling and BJJ background. She has a brown belt in BJJ. She wrestled NAIA at Men Menlo College. She is a Bellator Invicta and Ultimate Fighter alum. She is the OG of the strawweight division. She was the 2014 Female Fighter of the Year. And she's on a very, very impressive five-fight winning streak against very good competition, a reason why she's getting a shot at the title. But this is going to be fun because Carla has really improved in other departments outside of wrestling. A little bit more um, like MMA-style grappling, up against the cage, some clinches. She's done good with her striking, her striking, her striking. But unless she can keep Rose down for three-plus rounds, I don't see it going Carla's way. I think Carla, uh, Rose gets a finish. She's going to be the thug Rose on this fight. You know she wants this back on her record. I'm taking Rose. I'm putting her on that parlay. 
we marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Let me pull this up real quick. I want to see what the odds are. It might be pretty big on this one and even the Gaethje fight because if the odds are too big, you can't really put the money on the favorite, right? You can, but it barely wins you anything. So it's like, well, what if they do lose? This is the UFC. You never fucking know. She's minus 220. They're giving respect to Carla. Carla deserves that respect. Like I said, she's beaten some really good fighters of late. So I will definitely put that on the parlay. You heard it right here. I'm sure it'll be on my tweet. And then the main event of a stack 274. I wish I was in Phoenix for this event. We have Charles Dubronx Oliveira, 32 years old with a 32 and 8 record, taking on Justin, the highlight, Gaethje, 33 years old with a 24 and 3 record, and the number one next to his name. Now, this fight is going to be chaos, but I'm all for it. I love me some chaos when it comes to MMA. And it can be a slugfest. It can go to the ground. But I can't wait, can't wait to see what the game plan is for t- and how it unfolds with these fighters. Obviously, Charles trains out of shoot bo- the shoot box. He's a third-degree black belt in BJJ. He's a true vet of the UFC with 29 fights in the UFC. He's on a wild and impressive 10-fight winning streak. His improvement on the winning streak has been amazing. I mean, he's gone from an average Joe Schmo in the UFC to elite. 20 of his 32 wins are via submission. Four of his eight losses are via knockout. He was a 2021 comeback. He had the 2021 comeback fight of the year against Chandler. He had the 2014 submission of the year. He has the most finishes in UFC history with 18. The most submission wins in UFC history with 15. The most post-fight bonuses in UFC history with 18. And the most performance of the night awards in UFC history with 12. What that means is he must he's must-see TV. I had the the just the fucking luck of the draw to see him fight Dustin Poirier. I obviously picked Poirier and uh, he proved me wrong. But he is a lot of fun to watch because he's he's good everywhere. It's going to be an amazing headliner. It's going to be a back and forth affair. I do believe that Gaethje will avoid the takedown. He'll keep coming forward like he said. He has too much power not to finish Charles. I keep betting against him, so we'll see what happens. Um, but I am taking Justin. I am putting him on my parlay. I am marking him down, and we are getting that bread. Gaethje wins. We getting paid. Either way, next weekend, next Saturday, more UFC action. We have a deep fight night card headlined by Jan Blakovich and Alexander Rachik. It does have a 7 p.m. main card, so a pay-per-view feel to it with, a, I think, a 4.45 uh, prelim start. That's going to be fun. Excited to break that down. But, oh, boy, do we have a UFC 274 card ahead of us, and it's going to deliver. Speaking of delivering, how about the NBA playoffs this far? A lot of teams losing home court advantage, so we'll break that down. Um, the game that we will talk about that uh, is a headline we have to talk about. My guy CP3, Chris Paul with the best shooting game ever going 14 for 14 in NBA history. 
Chris Paul, hallelujah, salute to you. Uh, Joel Embiid out at least until games three and four. Get your brooms out. Miami's going to sweep, sweep. Uh, but Kyle Lowry was out for game one and is out for game two today. And Tyler Hero getting six man of the year award. He's helping me work on my jumper. No, uh, well-deserved Tyler Hero. Jordan Clarkson, I think, got fourth, which is a slap in the face, but everyone hates the Utah Jazz, so I'm not surprised. But let's talk what's happened since the last podcast. We were right on time last week. We we filmed on Wednesday, didn't get to talk about the games. So we're going to talk about um, the, the series wrapping games of the Bucks over the Bulls and Warriors over the Nuggets that happened on Wednesday. The Bulls tried to fight. You know, the, the, the final score is 116 to 100, but the Bulls were overmatched. They were missing uh, Zach Levine in this fight, and it was just too much to, uh, to overcome. The Bulls were led by Patrick Williams. What a career or what a end of season he had coming back from injury. 23 points on 13 shots, four of seven from three. And the Bucks were led by the Greek freak. He wanted to put the nail in the coffin. 33 points, nine rebounds on 15 shots. What an efficient line. Four of the five starters over double digits. And again, they were playing without Chris Middleton, who has been ruled out for the, the whole uh, Celtics series. And then we had the Warriors beating the Nuggets 102 to 98. Nikola Jokic did his damnedest, but Steph Curry came in clutch too many times. The Warrior or the Nuggets were led by Jokic, who had 30 points, 19 rebounds, eight assists on 18 shots. God damn, he's a former MVP for a reason. And the Warriors were led by Chef Curry, 30 points, five rebounds, five assists on 22 shots. He was five of 11 from three. The Warriors shot 42% from three, the Nuggets 21%, and that was it for the Mile High City, which set us up for Thursday, where we had one, two, all three series come to a close, and obviously I was not happy with the Utah one. Was I surprised? Absolutely not. I mean, when we look at it, everyone knows, or everyone talks about in the media, Rudy Gobert can't cover, but it's not Rudy's fucking fault. Right, they're leaving the corner three-point shooters open. They're letting Maxi Kleba, Dwight Powell, whoever the fuck, Spencer Dinwiddie, whoever's sitting in those corners go to work on them. Right? They didn't game plan. They brought Rudy Gay in, who didn't even see the fucking floor, to help be a, a small ball center. They barely gave Pascal any minutes. In this game, he had four minutes. They just didn't change their situation, and that's why you find yourself where you are. Either way, though, Donovan Mitchell didn't do enough. If the Jazz wanted to be a true contender, 23 points on 17 shots is not going to get the job done. A lot of the other games were like that. His first two years in the playoffs, he was averaging 35-plus, and in the last five to ten minutes in the fourth, it was Donovan Mitchell time. It was Spida time. He was dunking on motherfuckers. He was doing it. I don't know if his heart wasn't in it. He knew they couldn't do it, whatever it was. And Rudy's got to be able to dominate the small ball centers. You're going to play small ball on us. Cool, we're going to put it to our post, and he's going to dunk on your ass Shaq style. So the Jazz, you know, I, we we all saw it coming. Fourth quarter collapses towards the end of the year. Uh, but without Luka, the team was talented enough to sweep the Mavericks and give the Suns a run for their money. But here we are. They lose the series 4-2. to two. Dallas wins 98-96. to 96. I got to watch the first half. This, the Jazz are up at half. I had late night softball, league softball going on and missed the second half. And I'm, you know, thank God I did. Regardless, 
The Mavs were led by Brunson and Doncic, the dynamic duo. Both players had 24 points. Luka also had 9 rebounds, 8 assists. They weren't very efficient. Luka was on 21 shots. Brunson, 17 shots. Luka was 4 of 10 from 3. They shot 39% from 3 as a team. Utah, who lives by the 3-ball, only shot 25%. And they were led by Donovan, who had those 23, 8, and 9 on 17 shots. I do like seeing his rebounds and assists increase. He's spreading the ball. He's moving the ball. But really, the only player that deserves credit in this series is um, their sixth man, uh, Jordan Clarkson. 15 points. He's usually putting up 15 to 20 off the bench. He was the only guy that could create a shot. Mike Conley with the traveling call late. I don't know if it's chemistry or what had happened, but Conley was rested through the regular season to deliver in the postseason. He shot one of six from three. He had 11 points on 10 shots. He had three turnovers. Donovan Mitchell had five turnovers. You know, I didn't want to believe the media. Sometimes the media is out of control. There's all this chemistry issues. Something's going on. You know, is it Quinn? Is it the team? I don't think it's Quinn. I think he's an amazing coach. A lot of other teams want him for a reason. Um, but I would not be surprised if the Utah Jazz go full Portland tra- Trailblazer mode either in the offseason or for the trade deadline next year, and this team is completely different. Moving on, the Sixers demolish the Raptors. Um, obviously, no Fred Fenn fleet. They're missing some players. Um, but the, the Sixers finished the series 132-97. to They were led by Joel Embiid, who had 33-10 and on 18 shots. Big night for him. Maxi pitched, pitched in a nice 25, and Harden with 22, an efficient 22, 15 assists, and 6 rebounds. That's why they signed him. The Raptors were led by Chris Boucher off the bench, 25-10. and 10. Nice line by him. Uh, Pascal Siakam had 24-7-7. and 7 but the Raptors had too much to handle. How about them Pelicans, though? They got a fun young core. They tested the the Suns. They got two wins. They pushed them to the limits. Uh, they lose 115-109. to 109. Obviously, Devin Booker was back. He delivered. But the story was the 14-for-14 14 14 finished by Chris Paul. 33 points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds, 1-for-1 one one from 3. And then um, DeAndre Ayton had 22-7. and seven, And that was too much for the Pellies. The Pelicans were led by Brandon Ingram, not the best night in the office. 21 points on 19 shots, 11 assists, 4 of 5 starters over double digits, 8 players over double digits. But the Suns, the favorites, move on. Which set us up for one last game before round 2 on Friday. The Grizzlies beating the Timberwolves in another fun series that not a lot of people credited the Timberwolves, but they're a young do, uh, young core as well that battled, battled, Gave the Grizz a run for their money, but the Grizz and John Morant closed us out 114-106. The Grizz were led by Dylan Brooks, who had 23 points, and Desmond Bain, who had 23 points. Uh, John Morant only had 17 on 14. He was 0 of 5 from 3. He did have 11 assists, but this team put the his team picked up the slack in this one. Anthony Edwards led the Timberwolves for 30 points on 24 shots. And uh how about this young stud from Federal Way, Jaden McDaniels, ex-Husky, 24 points, 5 of 6 from 3. He's going to be a, a, a young, fun talent to watch. Uh, but either way, the Grizzlies move on to round 2. Round 2 started on Sunday. The Bucks stealing Game 1 on the road, 101-89. to And the, the story here, no Middleton. How could the Bucks do? Could they manage? Well, the Bucks came out with some pop. 
Um, they forced the ball to Giannis. He had 24 and 12 on 25 shots. He was 0 of 2 from 3. So it wasn't efficient, but their defense really gave the Celtics problems. And Drew Holiday had 25 uh, points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, again on 20 shots. So again, this game did not scream efficiency. The Bucks shot 41% from the field, 35% from 3. The Celtics, 33% from the field. This was a defensive first game. Tatum had 21 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists on 18 shots. Um, but huge, huge win for the Bucks. You know, obviously I gave my playoff predictions, um, um, you know, at the start of the playoffs. But entering this matchup without Chris Middleton, I have the Bucks in 7. I think it does go 7. I don't know if Middleton can make the end of that series. I think Giannis is going to be too good to overcome. But the improvement of Tatum, the, the Celtics do have a chance. I don't think they're deep enough like the Bucks are, though, to overcome that. I mean, in game one, I mean, three. There was basically a core of eight players. Same with the Celtics. But the, the players off the bench, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton for the Celtics, Grant Williams, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard. So I guess they're not necessarily way deeper. I do like the ability of the Bucks just lengthwise. They do have Serge Ibaka. They do have Jordan Nora. I doubt they get much time. Um, I totally forgot they have uh, Rajon Tucker. That don't matter. But um, I, I do take the Bucks in, in seven. I picked the Bucks to move on. I think I can't remember if I picked the Nets or Celtics before the playoffs, but I had the Bucks moving on anyways. And then um, pretty confident the Grizz will get the job done. I feel like the the Grizz are just they're overperforming. And I think that the Warriors are too talented. Plus, they have great leadership, Steph and Clay. But game one, if that was any indication, uh, it might be a tougher series than the Warriors think. The Warriors play one. I mean, I doubt the Warriors are overlooking them more than I had thought. I thought the, the Warriors would win in five or six, but they barely win this game and probably did not have. They probably should not have won this game, but they win 117, 116 to protect home court. They were led by Steph Curry, who had 24 points on 20 shots. The Warriors didn't shoot amazing like uh, the Bucks celtics game. And uh, really, the, the story of the game for the Grizzlies was their stars, right? John Morant, 34, 10, and 9 on 31 shots. So great numbers, not efficient, but he did whatever he could do to get his team in the game. Um, Steph kind of shut him down towards the last five minutes, but he, he was going to the hole at will. Giving me a little bit of a Dwayne Wade flashbacks. I know Dwayne Wade isn't a point guard, but when Dwayne Wade and that 06 Miami Heat team won the NBA Finals, it, it was because Dwayne was too young and athletic. He would float in the air. He would take contact. He'd go to the foul line a lot. You know, John Morant had only three free throws here, but you see him attack the lane and how his speed, his ability, his angular cut ability, it's just too much for, for teams to defend, especially the Warriors. And uh, Jaron Jackson, what a game for him. An efficient game, 33-10. and 10. He had that on 18 shots, 6 of 9 from 3. And somehow, the uh, Warriors still find, found a way to win at home. Um, the Warriors had more turnovers. They had more rebounds, more assists. more steal, uh, the, the Grizz had more steals. The Grizz shot a better game. But playoff basketball can be interesting. The Warriors escape. What a series that might be. I do uh, expect without Joel Embiid, the Miami Heat to sweep the Sixers. Maybe, you know, Philly wins one. And same with the Suns beating the Mavericks. I would expect 
Unlike the Jazz, DeAndre Ayton to do work, which can open their shooters. They play better defense than the Jazz do at this point. You know, sad to say. I expect the Suns to win in four or five as well. If game ones are any indication, that's right on track. Miami easily beats Philly 106 to 92. Philly was led by Tobias Harris, who had 27 and 6, a nice game from him. And the the Miami Heat were led by Tyler Hero off the bench, sixth man of the year, 25 and 17 on 17 shots. Bam Adebayo with 24 and 12. Um, and they're playing without Kyle Lowry, but they didn't need him. Joel Embiid needs to come back in a hurry if Philly wants a shot. Then the Suns playing the Mavericks. The Mavericks played a pretty solid game, 121-114 in Phoenix. The Mavericks were led by, of course, Luka Doncic, 45 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, just shy of the triple-double on 30 shots, 4 of 11 from 3. He willed his team, but the bench, outside of Maxi Kleba hitting threes, could not help the team. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, only 8 points. He's going to need to do more in 30 minutes. The Suns were led by DeAndre Ayton. He took advantage, 25-8. and eight. They gave it to him. Uh, you don't see a big guy score 25 points on 20 shots very often. But it was enough. Obviously, they like having Devin Booker back in the lineup. Sets us up with the games yesterday. Well, the Celtics weren't going to give up uh, two games at home, and they came out with authority and were up by double digits to 20 points the whole game. Uh, the Celtics, 109, Milwaukee, 86, basically reverse of game one. Uh, Giannis had 28, 9, and 7 on 27 shots, so they were forcing him the ball. It didn't equate to a very efficient night. The only other players in double digits in the starting lineup was Bobby Portis with 13, Drew Holiday with 19 on 20 shots. He was one of six from three. Uh, they only shot 16.7% from three. The Celtics were led by Jalen Brown, who had a nice game, 30 points on 18 shots. Tatum had 29 and eight on 20 shots. The Celtics shot 46.5% from three. And then the Grizz, uh, like we had said, this might be more interesting of a series than I credited the Grizz for. They beat the Warriors 106-101. And why was that? It was all John Morant. He's on his Grizzly 47-8-8 on 31 shots. He even got the three ball going 5 of 12 from three. He had four three-pointers in the first round uh, against the Timberwolves. So uh, what a development. This has been 47 fucking points. Like I said, I'm getting flashbacks from the flash a.k.a. Dwayne Wade, although he is a smaller point guard. He plays a lot like that uh, physical aggressiveness that Dwayne did. And the Warriors were led by Steph Curry, 27-9-8, but, but on 25 shots. Klay Thompson had 12 on 19 shots. He was 2 of 12 from 3. And Jordan Poole, 20 off the bench on 16 shots. I wouldn't bet on them being that inefficient moving forward. But either way, the Grizzlies get the split they, that, that holds a lot of weight for the the rest of the, the second round. And tonight, TNT doubleheader, the Heat game two in Miami, the Suns game two in Phoenix. I would expect both teams to win pretty handily. There might be a little bit of competition by the Mavericks, uh, but it's going to be interesting. Uh, some great matchups. That Grizzlies-Warriors seems to be the series. The Bucks-Celtics uh, is going to be a lot of fun as we head in to the East and West Conference Championships after round two. But speaking of playoffs, playoffs, we got some chill, baby. We got some NHL. I love talking NHL uh, playoffs. Why? Because a lot of series go six and seven. A lot of swings of uh, momentum. 
The league has been higher scoring this year than it has been in a long time. So, you know, goalie play is going to be massive. Plus, I am a Colorado Avalanche fan, and they are the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. So uh, we're going to dive in and talk some chill, and we're going to talk NHL playoffs from here on out. Got to hydrate. So uh, we'll break it down. I'll give you guys my pick. So round one, we have the number one seeded Florida Panthers. They had the most wins in the regular season. Yes, Florida's hockey team is leading. Florida's had some powerhouse teams. The Tampa Bay team winning multiple championships is still a threat this year. Florida, the number one seed. They're taking on a very veteran-savvy team, though, the four-seed Washington Capitals. And, uh, you know, the Panthers had 58 wins. The Capitals had 44. So you look at that, you think the Panthers would win pretty easily. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau had 115 points to lead the league for the Panthers. Obviously, the star of the um, Capitals is uh, Alex Ovechkin. He had 90 points to lead the Capitals. It's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Um, I do expect the Panthers to win. I think this is going to come down to uh to a scrap though i think this is going to go more you know more than five games it's going to be a fun one but i am taking the panthers to win and what a fucking series the two three matchups going to be they have the toronto maple leafs and tampa bay lightning matching up who we i mean the, the the maple leafs had 54 wins the lightning had 51 um austin matthews had 106 points this season Steven Stomkos had 106 for the Lightning. Um, the Leafs do have Kyle Clifford suspended for game one. I've gone back and forth who I'm going to take in this. I am going to go with Toronto. I think that this is going to be a year they finally get out of round one. They've been struggling in round one. Um, but I might be a little biased because I don't want Tampa Bay to go any further. This is going to be a five-plus game matchup. Uh, I'm sure of it. Then we have the uh, number one Carolina Hurricanes taking on number four Boston Bruins. And this is a close matchup for a 1-4 in my opinion. I, I really think that Boston is a veteran team. They were led by Brad Marchand who had 80 points. Uh, the Hurricanes have Sebastian Ajo who had 81 points during the regular season. Um, I think the biggest issue is going to be Boston's goaltending here. But I think it's going to be a close series. I think it's going to go five plus games as well. I am going to take uh, Carolina to win, though. I mean, this is why hockey's great. Every one of these matchups is insane. Number two, New York Rangers hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, a team that's been really good all regular season. The Rangers at 52 wins. And another veteran-savvy team like Washington uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins, potentially the last big run that they have in them. Um, obviously, the Penguins were led by Sid the Kid, 84 points. The Rangers had Artemi Ponarin, who had 96 points. Uh, I would love to take Pittsburgh here. Uh, I mean, Sid the Kid is my favorite hockey player, so there might be some bias to here. I am going to take the Panthers in seven, or the Panthers, the, the Penguins in seven. I think this is going to come down to the wire. Um, I think the first two games is going to really hold a lot of um, – a lot of meat and bones of what's what these teams are capable of. You got to set an, a tone early. I'm going to go with the Penguins beating the Rangers in a seated upset here. And then we move to the Avalanche taking on Nashville. 
The Avalanche with an impressive 56, 56 wins. The Predators with 45. Uh, Miko Rantanen actually led the Avalanche with 92 points. Roman Yossi led the Predators with 95. Uh, obviously, Nathan McKinnon's the main star there. He missed quite a bit of the season, and when he was on the ice, he did deliver. Um, the Avalanche kind of with the skid towards the end of the season, but that could be resting of players and just getting ready for the playoffs. But I'm a little worried how they, they finish the season. And Nashville is a team that will play you physical. Um, I believe the, you know they have a solid goaltending um, goal, goal combo. And uh, they're going to be a lot like Vegas, who had previously defeated the Avalanche in round two. They're going to play them physical. They're going to be scrappy. I do think the Avs are just too talented. They are healthy. right? They've had a lot of injuries throughout the year. Landis Gog, McKinnon, so on and so forth. With them being healthy, I do think they win in five or six, um, but I don't think it's going to be as tight as a lot of the other series. Moving on, we have number two, Minnesota Wild, taking on the three-seeded uh, St. Louis Blues. The Wild with 53 wins, the Blues with 49. The Wild were led by Kirill Kaprizov, uh, who had 108 points, and the Blues had Vladimir Tarasenko with 82 points. Uh, this is going to be a fun series. I think this is another 3-2 upset, much like Pittsburgh. I think the Blues have you know, been that veteran team that just has a lot of playoff experience. This is one of the better wild teams. I mean, they are a two-seed for a reason. They are scrappy. They are physical. I don't think they have enough offensive talent to keep up with the scoring of the Blues. So I am going to take the Blues in a 3-2 upset, them and the Penguins, both 3-2 upsets. And then we have the number one seeded Calgary Flames taking on number four Dallas Stars. The Flames had 50 wins, the Stars 46. The Flames were led by Johnny Gaudreau at 115 points. Uh, the Stars had Joe Pavelski with 81 points. Um, I like Calgary in this one. I think much like the Avalanche, this won't be as close as a lot of the other series. I think this will be around uh, five games um, and, and a win by Calgary. And then the last series, we have another 2-3. Edmonton taking on the Los Angeles Kings. The Kings back in the playoffs after a drought. Uh, weird to see the Kings in and Vegas not because they've always been in the playoffs since they became a franchise. But the Oilers had 49 wins. The Kings, 44. The Oilers, the infamous Connor McDavid with 123 points. The Kings are led by Anzi Kopitar with 67. I do think that the Oilers uh, win this series. I think the Kings have had some great momentum and goalie play of late. So it might go interesting. Could go six or so games. But I am going with Edmonton over the Kings in this matchup. Which would then set us up with Avs versus Blues. I'm going to go with the Avs advancing out of the second round finally. Uh, that's going to be a tough, tough matchup for them, though. The Blues have a lot of playoff experience. And then um, that sets us up with Calgary versus Edmonton. I am going to go with Calgary. Connor McDavid's going to try his hardest, but it's not going to be enough. Calgary Avs in the semifinals is going to be a fun, fun matchup. They were fun matchups in the regular season. The Avs got the best of them due to the high pace scoring. I think they could do it again. The goalie play with Kemper has been good enough. So I am going with the Avs representing um, um, half of the championship for the Stanley Cup, which would then give us Panthers versus Maple Leafs. I'm going to go with Panthers in a very, very close series. I think Toronto, again, uh, is a team that just uh, they look the part right now. Um, I, I like the ability that they have in um, the Canadian hockey. I mean, you know, the big city, that's what it is. And then it would be Carolina versus the Penguins. I think... Um, the Penguins are going to have a little bit of a storied push here. 
Um, again, this might be their last hurrah. They're doing everything they can as this unit to make something happen. I do like Carolina, but they are a little bit susceptible. So I'm going to go with uh, Penguins versus Panthers in the semifinal. Panthers representing um, the other side of the bracket in the championship, which sets us up for Panthers Avs. I'm going with the Avs, baby. How can you not go with the Avs? They've been dominant all season. Uh, they have one of the best players in hockey, Nathan McKinnon. They got Landis Gog. They got a Ratanen, had an amazing series. Uh, Devin Toes has had a great, you know, last few games. Uh, they also have Kel McCarr. Uh, so many playmakers, so young, so youth that they can go through. And I think they're going to cruise through um, the Nashville series to get through, uh, a, uh, you know, get some, some rest while other teams are battling it out. Plus, I do think that uh, the Florida side is a little bit tougher. So uh, I'm going with Avs over Panthers. No big sports takes there. I, I'm going with the top dogs, but it's going to be fun. But there has been a couple games that have happened. The playoffs started on Monday. It is Wednesday today. So let's talk about some first-round action that happened on Monday. Carolina routed Boston in the first game 5-1. to one. I mean, sheesh, scoring five games in round one. That's crazy. Uh, they they had, let's see, hold on here. Let's see, they had Tuvo, Teravian, Teravian. Oh, no, I, I got that wrong. They, they had nobody with multiple goals. They had five different people scoring goals for them. Um, so brutal start for Boston. Uh, against a higher seed in Carolina, but Carolina cruises to a 5-1 victory. We also had the Maple Leafs beating the Tampa Bay Lightning 5-0. That made me happy as I am rooting for Tampa Bay to get out because they've been winning too much of late. Um, The Toronto squad had Austin Matthews with two playoff goals. He had one in the second, one in the third, Uh, They had three goals in the second to really take advantage over Tampa and make a statement after game one. Um, The 2-3 upset pick I had was the Blues over the Wild. They ended up winning 4-0 in game one. I do not expect this series to be that lopsided, but the the Blues have great playoff experience. And David Perron came out with a hat trick. He came out doing work. Three goals, one in the first, one in the second on a power play. And or one in the first on power play, one in the second power play, and one in the third. So the Wild lived through physicality. It looks like that might have cost them getting a lot of power plays to the Blues, and they took advantage. A game that I did not expect in round one, the Kings, a uh, uh, playoff hopeful, getting in and winning round one on the road in Edmonton, 4-3. to three. And this was a 3-3 tie going into the third. Uh, Philip Denault scored a goal early for LA to take the lead. What a game that was, and what a shocker, in my opinion, the Kings winning game one. The game that I watched yesterday, I was even thinking about recording the podcast late last night, uh, but this game went so long. I don't know what the game time was, but what a fun matchup this was. The Penguins beating the Rangers on the road in triple overtime. I mean, triple overtime. Um, they scored pretty early in the third the third overtime, uh, but 4-3, to three, the Penguins find a way. Jake Gunsel had two goals. Um, this was just a back-and-forth affair. The goalies were all over the place. People were hitting goalies. You know, there's crowded goal boxes. It was, it was a ton of fun. Uh, one of the more fun games I've seen in, in playoff history. The Capitals with a huge, 
huge win um, in the first game of the series, beating the number one seeded Florida Panthers four to two. Playoff experience will get you places, and the Kings sh- or the the Kings and the uh, Capitals showcase that as they won on the road four two. Hockey playoffs starting wild with a lot of road teams winning. And then I didn't watch uh, my Avs game as much as the Penguins game because they were up early. After the first period, they're up 5-0. to zero. They beat the Nashville squad 7-2. to two. Nashville didn't score until the second period, got another third uh, period goal. Matt Duchesne with two of them. And you already know, um, Nathan McKinnon, one on the power play in the first, getting one in the second. Gabriel Landeskog with the goal as well. Avs coming out hot with a huge punch in, in the first round or first game of the, of the uh, round one matchup. And then Calgary, right? They're a scrappy team. I expect this series to be a low scoring series. And that's what round one was. Calgary got a goal in the first period and that's all it took. One zero flames. Uh, today we have Boston, Carolina. Um, um, ha- happening on the ice today for the second game of round one. Toronto, Tampa. Blues Wild, Kings Oilers, see if Kings can keep their, their magic happening. But we're going to keep talking about the NHL, NHL playoffs. Things are going to be fun and come down to the wire. Uh, some crazy road wins already. Hockey playoffs are, is straight chaos. And you know I love me some chaos. Wrap up the show. We're going to talk Supercross, MLB, touch in what's happened on the NFL, and recap the NFL draft. But let's start, start with Supercross. Hunter Lawrence and Christian Craig were battling, and this was fun. Um, Craig had a chance at a title in Denver. Um, they had to battle it out. Craig was in the lead, or Craig was trailing Hunter Lawrence. You could debatably say that's a good spot to be because you're putting the pressure on Hunter, and he was right there with him around, I want to say, at least 10 laps. Um, but around 10 minutes left, Craig took a wreck in the sand. Over, um, leaned in the front. His front tire got sucked down in the sand. The sand sand sections are wild. And Hunter ended up getting the win. So it does come down to the last race um, in Salt Lake City. Round 17, he's 18 points behind Craig. Anything can happen. But Craig will most likely get the championship. Um, You know, Hunter, I think, missed a race or two, too, and is still right there. Hunter Lawrence got first. Michael Moseman second. Christian Craig battled back for a third-place finish. Joe Shimoda fourth. Garrett Marchbanks fifth. And Vince Freese sixth. It was a fun race uh, to watch the top two dogs go at it, battle it out in Denver. Points leaders, we have Craig first at 215. Hunter Lawrence at 197. Michael Moseman 17 back at 181. Vince Freese away back and forth at 144. Tied with Joe Shimoda at 144. In the 450, Sexton has been hot lately. Looked good in the qualifier qualifiers. He got the whole shot. Eli Tomac was right there with him, right? Eli Tomac needing to finish 14th or better to get the championship. Jet Lawrence on the other side of the 250 already in with his championship. Uh, but he just needed to finish better than 14th, and you could tell he raced that way. Sexton had a big wreck early, which put Tomac in the lead. But as riders came and challenged Tomac, he did not push the limits. He did not risk a championship, did not want to risk a wreck. He let the riders pass him, let him let him do their thing, um, and didn't challenge him so he wouldn't ruin those championship hopes. So Tomac ended up finishing fifth. Anderson stole a victory. Anderson's been hot of late. Anderson and Tomac have been battling basically since childhood. Uh, he was in New Mexico. Tomac in California or Colorado. 
and they've really been battling it out. And Jason Anderson want, wants to, you know, finish the season strong. He's been racking up victories. He gets another one. Malcolm Stewart, which is in a big battle um, in the middle of the pack, come points, ended up with a second place finish. Marvin Muscan has been the third machine, man. He's been finding podiums left and right. He gets another one on a third place finish. Chase Sexton battled back after the wreck for fourth. Eli Tomac fifth. Cooper Webb sixth. Justin Barsha with the wreck falling down to seventh. So when we look at points, Tomac should get uh, Tomac with the championship at 359. Anderson locking himself into second at 324. But this is where things get interesting. The last race of the season in Salt Lake. Malcolm Stewart passes Justin Barsha for third at 295. He's four points ahead of Barsha, who's in fourth at 291, who is then four points ahead of Muskan, who's had a crazy good end of year at 287. Chase Sexton's quite a ways back in sixth at 269. And then Cooper Webb's eight points back of Sexton at 261. Again, this Saturday, round 17, the end of the season, East-West Showdown. Uh, we'll see if Christian Craig could capture the championship. That's the only championship battle left. But Hunter Lawrence would love to join his brother, little brother Jet, for a championship. I love me some Supercross, man. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who goes from the 250 to the 450. Uh, my guy, Ken Roxon, my favorite racer, is going to be up with the Honda team. You know, he pulled out due to health. I'm sure he'll be back next year. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. And racers always changing spots. You know Tomac liked to show Team Kawasaki, though. That's what's up. Team Yamaha living in the glory days right now. Switching gears to the diamond, I got my Angels jersey on, going to another Mariners game, part of my season tickets this Sunday. Um, some news around the league. John Jay, outstanding outfielder, um, officially retires from MLB. Bravo on a good career, John Jay. Sad news for Royals fans. Alberto Mondesi out with the torn ACL. He'll miss the remainder of the season. I don't know if Dodgers fans are too surprised. They're greedy anyways, but the Dodgers have Trevor Bauer getting a two-year suspension, which the way they've handled other similar situations, there must be information that the MLB knows it's not public because two years seems a little crazy without anything proven, but again, they must have insider information that we don't. I don't want to get into this political debate. My politics are sports, right? Uh, the Mets, RFA, Robinson Cano, um, he had his moments here. When I think of Robinson Cano, I think of him being the face of the Mariners, me living here and talking shit to Mariners fans saying Nelson Cruz is better. I think I won that debate. You ask me. Sad news for Angels fan. Once top prospect Joe Adele optioned back to the Salt Lake Bees, Triple A. Brandon Marsh, Taylor Ward have come out scorching hot. Uh, they had an influx of outfielders. Joe Adele playing one of every four or five days isn't going to do it. He needs to get everyday action. He's even had suspect defense of late, which is no good. But Taylor Ward can be an example. Sometimes it takes time to figure things out. The Mariners are seeing that with Jared Kalenic, a lot of these top, top prospects. You also got to realize the past few years, we were in a pandemic. The minor leagues have been crazy. Uh, they've been dealing with not normal times, but I've seen Joe Adele. I assume he'll figure it out. Um, I hope he does because he, you know, they, us Angels fans have been hyped for him for a long time. Miguel, uh, my, uh, geez, is it Miguel Sano? Why am I? Yeah, Miguel Sano, 
uh, is going to be out potentially for quite a while as he has a torn meniscus. The Twins have been battling injuries early in the season. Not good news for them as their big power hitter out with the torn meniscus. So this past weekend, we had some fun series. The Angels had a four-game series on the road against the White Sox. They cleaned house the first two games, ended up, or I guess they split 1-1-1-1, but they ended up going 2-2 against a very good White Sox team. The Twins beat the Rays 2-1, a little bit of a shocker there in an AL battle. The Marlins beating the Mariners 2-1. The Marlins, a young squad looking good. The Mariners couldn't quite get any offense going on the road. The Blue Jays beating the Astros 2-1. The Blue Jays have been flexing on the best teams in the AL, but the Astros look like they're getting things back together, and Justin Verlander is looking like he never had Tommy John. The Brewers beating the Cubs 2-1 in an NL battle. The Brewers, you know, doing Brewer-like things. And the Mets beating the Phillies in that fun NL East 2-1 on this past series uh, weekend series. We'll talk about this weekend's, but when we look at the standings, The Yankees with 18 wins, the most wins, I believe. Tied for the Mets, New York, New York, huh? The Yankees leading the AL with 18 wins. The Blue Jays in 15. Rays have 14. That AL East is going to put in a lot of playoff teams. The AL Central led by the Twins with 15 wins, clearly ahead of the Guardians and White Sox with 10, under 500. Your Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim leading the AL West. Up above the Astros, they have 15. Uh, The Astros have 13. The Mariners have 12. And the Athletics, 10. Still some competitive teams. Going to be a fun finish in that division. The NL East, the most competitive division and controversial division. The Mets with 18. Marlins with 12. Ahead of the Phillies and Braves with 11. Even the Nationals right there at 9. That's going to be a dog race. The AL Cent- or NL Central led by the Brewers, two games ahead of the Cardinals with 14 wins. And then the NL West, what a fun one this is. All teams have over 13 wins. Even the Diamondbacks are 13 and 13. The Rockies, 13 and 10. Giants, 14 wins. Padres, 15. Giants, uh, Padres, 15. Dodgers, 15. That might be one of the more interesting divisions that the Rockies and Diamondbacks could keep it up. I'm not betting on it, though. This weekend, we have Dodgers versus Cubs. Fun NL uh, battle. We got Mets, Phillies in the NL East. White Sox, Red Sox. That'll be a good one. Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV. Uh, If you haven't realized that, that'll be fun. The doubleheader on that is Rays versus Marlins. Uh, Marlins. Mariners. They just battled each other, battling each other again this time in Seattle. I'll be catching that game on Sunday. Blue Jays versus Guardians in the AL. See if the Blue Jays can stay hot. Brewers, Braves in the NL. That one's going to be fun. Padres, Marlins in the NL. That'll be a fun one as well. And then Giants, Cardinals. We got quite a bit of competitive series this weekend. See if they have the matchups yet. So I'm going to see Chris Flexen versus Ryan Yarborough on Sunday. I always get Chris Flexen, man. It was before Chris Flexen, I'd always be seeing Marco Gonzalez. And before him, I can't remember, but... It seems like I'm always catching the same pitchers. I'd like to change it up, you know what I mean? I'll be seeing a lot of Angels games, though, so I'm not too worried about it. Moving to the freaking NFL. Melvin Gordon re-signing with the Denver Broncos. I'm not too shocked about that, but after the draft, you expect a lot of transactions with the remaining free agents. The Bears release Nick Foles. We'll see if a team tries to sign Nick Foles for some competition um, or if you know they just want to keep him as a backup. 
as he has proven that he is worth worthy of that kind of a role. Some amazing trades draft day. I knew there'd be some amazing trades. I thought there would be more quarterbacks in the first round and teams would panic. I was wrong about that. We'll talk about the draft in a minute. But the Titans trade AJ fucking Brown to the Eagles. The Eagles sign him four-year, $100 million extension, 57 guaranteed. They got a, a first and a third, I believe. But when you look at the Titans, everyone's like, no, A.J. Brown, he's in his prime. Yeah, yeah. Would you rather have A.J. Brown? Let's see. Uh, he's only 24 years old. He's a little bit different. He is very young. Would you rather pay big bucks for one player, though, when you're maybe not going to win today? Or, you know, draft Traylon Burks, a big receiver, physical receiver, much like A.J. Brown. Is he going to be A.J. Brown? No one could tell. Can he be possibly? But the money these receivers are asking for and are demanding right now is so high. So freaking high. Like in the Steelers case, I'm a Steelers fan. Deontay Johnson, his value has probably gone up by at least $25 plus million for a contract. Do you sign him or draft another one and keep a young core, right? That's really the debate that these teams are going through. And it all started with the Jaguars overpaying for Christian Kirk. Now you see A.J. Brown moving. You see uh, Debo demanding things. Deontay and everybody else demanding more money. Um, Hollywood Brown traded, which we'll get to. Uh, but some crazy shit. DeAndre Hopkins suspended for six games due to uh, a performance-enhancing drug test. Um, brutal news for Cardinals fans. That's an official suspension. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, now the Marquise Brown trade looking great. Marquise Brown traded from the, the, um, Ravens and going right back to his former college teammate, Kyler Murray. That's going to be a fun connection and is now wide receiver one. Jag signing Cam Robinson, three year, $54 million extension. They gave him the franchise tag. Now he gets an extension. And the Honey Badger finally signing somewhere. He signs with the Saints. Um, Three-year, $33 million with $18 million guaranteed. And a big signing, in my opinion, undrafted Justin Ross, the speedster, the stud out of Clemson, the national championship superstar. When uh, him and um, uh, Trevor Lawrence had won the championship at Clemson, that could be a sneaky pick. He was undrafted due to health concerns. The Chargers get a great cornerback signing Bryce Callahan if they only need a better secondary. Uh, that secondary is going to be nasty. The Falcons extend their stud on defense, Grady Jarrett, three-year, $51 million. And then after the draft, uh, Kevin Colbert, the GM of the Steelers, officially retire. And in the wake of that, their beat writer and famous beat writer Mark Cabali retires as well. And the Steelers, they live with their players and their GMs and their coaches for so long. It's like a new chapter and there's definitely nerves for the Steelers fans. I heard that they were bringing in a few people for second round interviews. I've already told you who, who I would like the Steelers to sign as GM. Let's see. So they could potentially have a hybrid role internally with Omar Khan, who's done really good. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. We always like to do things internally, uh, but I'm blanking on his name. I would love Lewis Riddick to be the GM. Um, bring a fresh perspective. Him and Tomlin would be a powerhouse. Uh, him, Tomlin, and Flores, could you imagine the swagger, the ability? Um, that's kind of been my my you know long shot hope as a Steelers fan. 
but I also had a long shot hope in the draft that ended up happening. So we'll see. Kevin Colbert, one of the best GMs in modern NFL history. He was hired in 2000. In his 22 years, he had one losing season, 14 playoff appearances, won 10 divisional titles, and won two Super Bowls. What a legend. What a life. Steelers fans, bravo, Kevin Colbert. It's going to, you know, we're going to miss you. That's for sure. Mark Cabali, you know, I'm an athletic subscriber. I like listening or like checking out his articles. I'm not born in, in Pittsburgh or living in Pittsburgh to know it that well, but um, a lot of faces leaving even, um, let's see. Even the Steelers reporter is moving on. Aditi, I'm going to murder her name, Kink Kabwala is leaving. They're getting a new re reporter. So the Steelers are just completely starting from scratch. New reporters, new beat writers, new GM, new quarterback, new everything. Uh, but the draft delivered. We'll break down round one. I'm not going to break down all the rounds. Uh, but round one, I was surprised. Trayvon Walker drafted one overall over Aiden Hutchinson. The Lions put in a pick almost instantly and drafted Aiden Hutchinson. But it's going to be interesting to see how Trayvon Walker develops for the Jags. They've done a lot, a lot of moves this year to try to make a competitive team. Um, but I've seen film of Walker being gassed and just sitting there waiting for things to happen or not even rushing. So that would concern me. Um, I would never want to draft a player like that, in my opinion. But uh, what do I know? Um, the Texans getting Derek Stingley Jr. This guy is going to be a big name for a long time. It sucks he has to play in Houston, uh, especially amid all of the Deshaun Watson issues. Uh, but he is going to be a playmaker for their defense no matter what, as well as Sauce Gardner going to the Jets. This was one that was in mock drafts everywhere. It was meant to happen. It happened. And New York, really the, the, the story of the first 10. The Jets also got Garrett Wilson, wide receiver out of Ohio State, the second receiver taking in the NFL draft. Um, so big-time playmaker on defense, big-time playmaker on offense. At the end of the day, though, I don't believe in Zach Wilson. Everyone wants to say they won the draft. They're going to be competitive. I don't think they're better than the Patriots, the Dolphins, or the Bills. The Jets will jet, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And then how about Giants? Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, a guy that was mock drafted when the season started as round one. Uh, this guy is a fucking animal. The Giants always have a fun D-line, and this will continue. And then they also got lineman Evan Neal to keep Danny Dimes up front this year. They did not agree on his fifth-year option, so we'll potentially be keeping someone else upright. I hope Danny Dimes works out. I think he has the playmaking ability. Everyone knocked that draft pick in him, but I like him as a person, a player. I want to see him win. But great draft by the Giants. Great draft by the Jets. Will they win games, though? I don't know. Not betting on it at this point. The Panthers get Akeem Aquanu, offensive tackle out of North Carolina State 6th. I thought they were going to bust out a quarterback, and they didn't. Um, and that ruined my hypothetical quarterback early onslaught. The Falcons getting Drake London, the first receiver off the board. I like Drake London. I am surprised he is the first receiver off the board personally. Um, I would rather have Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson on my team. I would even potentially rather have Traylon Burks on my team. Uh, but Drake London, very hyped up, good film, um, can do a little bit of everything. The Falcons need playmakers, insert a la playmaker. Russell Wilson's gone. The Seahawks finally draft a lineman in the first round. They get Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. I honestly think it's hilarious. He's gone, and they finally do that. 
Um, they ended up drafting Kenneth Walker the third as a running back, which is kind of funny, but I don't believe in Chris Carson or um, um, Rashad Penny. I think that debatably could be the best NFL talent out of the running back, so great for them. Um, they're going to be a run-first team anyways. The Saints getting Chris Olave, back-to-back Ohio State wide receivers. They're going to need a playmaker. We'll see what happens with the Michael Thomas situation, but him and Michael Thomas would be a nice little duo in uh, potentially Jameis Winston's last year. The Lions get Jamison Williams to spread the field. I feel like they definitely have a wide receiver need, but um, I don't know, man. You can't go wrong. There's so many receivers, but I would have almost traded down if I was them, but they get Jamison Williams. They have a stud. Speaking of stud, the Eagles get in Jordan Davis. That's a great pick. I think that's a Philly-type player written all over him. Speaking of matchups, how could you not expect the Ravens to draft Kyle Hamilton if available? Um, they're, they're a secondary first type of team. Um, ever since Ed Reed, they've been good in the backfield. They insert Kyle Hamilton. That's going to be a perfect fit. hate to say it as a Steelers fan, but that's a great fit. Kenyon Green to the Texans to keep their quarterback upright. Washington Commander, Commanders getting Jahan Dotson for Carson Wentz. I have no idea what to expect from this Washington team. Jahan Dotson's a stud. I wish he would have went elsewhere to watch him um, and, and let him do his thing. But him and Terry McLaurin, those two themselves, make an interesting combo. Chargers get Zion Johnson. They're going to need to keep Justin Herbert up there, get some young youth ability in the line. That's a great pick for them. And again, they did trade A.J. Brown, but they got the closest thing to him. And Traylon Burks are talking about running him and passing him. This is going to be Debo Samuel 2.0. The Saints get Trevor Penning, tackle out of Northern Iowa. Classic Saints move. I like that pick. The first quarterback off the board, the one guy that I wanted. Everyone talks shit about the pick, but I think this guy's got the moxie of a winner. He fits right in. He's a Pittsburgh type of guy. Does he have the best arm talent? Does he have the biggest hands? No, he doesn't, but that does not equate to winning. He will win. They have Mitch Trubisky. He's not forced to start. Can he start week one? Yes. I kind of hope he doesn't. There's a lot of pressure when that happens. You lose the first few games, your, your mental could go. Um, but this is a guy that's been a part of Manning camps. He's been in the right places, around the right people. I'm hyped. I'm buying a Kenny Pickett jersey. Let's fucking go. Moving on. The Chiefs, Trent McDuffie, getting one of the better cornerbacks off the board. Great moves. They also, in the first round, got George Karloftis, an edge rusher out of uh, Purdue, they need to make that defense better, and they did so. Great picks for the Chiefs. They even got Sky Moore, who I wanted for the Steelers. We got George Pickens, which, uh, to be honest, I might be more happy about that. But uh, Sky Moore on the Chiefs about to be nasty. Regardless, I know I'm talking other rounds. The Cowboys get Tyler Smith. They needed youth injected into their line. Uh, great pick by them. Um, talk about the Ravens, man. What a perfect match. Tyler Linderbaum, center out of Iowa to the Ravens. Um, a run first team getting him. That is a huge, huge piece. I would love the Steelers if we didn't need Kenny Pickett to get a guy like that. Oh, speaking of the Jets, they also got Jermaine Johnson, a guy who slipped in the draft at 26. What a pick. What a draft by them. Um, I'm surprised he slipped to 26, to be honest. The Jaguars getting Devin Lloyd out of Utah. Utah puts in linebackers like no other. Hardworking, tough guys. Devin Lloyd could do a little bit of everything. I love that pick. They lost... Um, oh, my God. How am I blinking on his name? They lost Miles Jack to the Steelers. You get Devin Lloyd. Uh, that's a win for them. 
The weirdest pick of the first round, the Patriots getting Cole Strange a guard. They have great draft. You know, their, um, how would I say it? Their resume of past drafts is good. So, you, you know, it's, you, you almost don't know what to think with it. But it was kind of out of nowhere. The The best was a viral video of Sean McVay laughing, saying, oh, we waste our time thinking we could get him at uh, pick 109. Uh, the Packers getting Devontae Wyatt first round. Everyone wanted a receiver, but maybe they felt like the better receivers were off the board, right? Burks off the board, Dotson off the board, Wilson, Alave, Wilson, Drake, London. Uh, so it's like uh, maybe they didn't think so, um, but they, they, they fill a need that is needed, so that's still a win for the Pack. And then it was announced that Aaron Rodgers didn't know about Devontae Adams leaving. That blows my mind. Um, the NFL is the NFL. It's a sneaky business. But if I'm Rodgers, I would be pissed. Pissed. Oh, he's always pissed, though, right? And then uh, a couple other picks that I like. Daxon Hill of Michigan to the Bengals and Lewis Klein to the, uh, from Georgia to the Vikings. Defensive-led players. The Vikings are a defensive-led team. Great fit. And the Bengals needed someone back there. Daxon Hill is a stud. A lot of teams with good picks. You know, the, the Patriots is probably the most like, what? A lot of people might knock the Steelers. I loved it. I would have rather had him. I just can't believe the other quarterback slipped so far. Desmond Ritter to the Falcons. Sam Howell to the Panthers. And Willis to the Titans. Um, interesting tidbit there with Tannehill saying, you know, it's not my duty to train you. Regardless, the draft delivered trades moves the NFL becoming more like the NBA each and every year, which is wild for headlines and keeping up with things. I necessarily don't like it, but the Steelers do their own thing, so it is what it is. Other than that, to wrap up episode 81, Baylor quarterback Gary Bohannon to transfer. Um, Addison transferring from Pittsburgh. We talked about that, that uh, last week. It's weird to me that these players are transferring so late, um, but he's losing his job, so he's going to get out of there. Georgia had five defenders drafted in the first round, which is the most ever for one school. I talked about it on the pod every week watching Georgia. It looks like an NFL defense, especially the front seven. Well, that was very true. They also broke the record with 15 players drafted. Sheesh. Regardless, episode 81 at you. We had a lot to talk about. Can't wait to talk UFC 274. More chill and NBA playoffs. But don't forget to go to fueledsupplements.com. Use promotion code Buckets to buy some supplements. Trying to get healthy, trying to not be sick, trying to get some gains, trying to get swole, trying to get shredded. Fueledsupplements.com has you covered. See you guys next week.